from Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Join today's conversation with Kirsten Jersek of Bratsett Family Farm. We're all about cover crops today. Hear her advice and tips on the importance of cover crops and how, particularly for women farmers, the philosophy of cover crops and caring for our land naturally fits with our nurturing strengths. And boy, does Kirsten love that rainfall simulator. Bratsett Family Farm is an intensive rotational grazing operation and home to a grass-fed beef herd. After a career as a hydrologist, Kirsten returned to her family farm to combine her passions for the environment, healthy food, and integrating her children and family into the business. Kirsten also works as a grazing educator and planner, teaching other farmers to become better grazers through proper management of their soils, forage, and livestock. We are here with Kirsten Jersek of Bratsett Farm in her beautiful farmhouse on a lovely spring day. Thank you for inviting us to stop by. And we're going to talk now about, I know, something you are both knowledgeable and passionate about, in addition to all of your managed grazing work of cover crops, which kind of goes hand in hand, right? One right. with the other there, too. Uh, and you are a farmer champion for the National Wildlife Federation, right? On a project with them to do outreach and education of, on cover crops. Because particularly, I think, for beginning farmers, it's just not in our radar necessarily, or it's something that we can always learn more about, right? Yeah, not, not only for beginning farmers, but for existing farmers. I mean, when you drove here today and you look at our landscape, you see a lot of fall plowed, barren fields that could have cover crops on them. So one of my goals with this project is I'm very passionate about our environments and clean water is very important to me. Um, and it's really hard this time of year to for me to see what our streams turn into and to see all the loss of soil and phosphorus going into our surface waters. And um, so cover crops can really help with that because not only they help us build our soils, so when it does rain, our organic matter, as our organic matter builds in our soils, our soils are able to absorb more water when it rains. Several people have seen it, and if anybody hasn't, Google like NRCS rainfall simulator. You love the I rainfall simulator. I love the simulator. rainfall simulator. <laughs> what is the rainfall simulator? So it is a simulation of a heavy rainstorm. And we basically, we collect soil samples from different fields. So looking at the management type. So it might be just a corn field or corn on corn or a corn bean alfalfa rotation field or really well-managed pasture, a poorly managed pasture, fields that have been no-tilled and are using cover crops. So basically we take like the very best environmental practice we could probably have on our landscape, which is a really well-managed permanent pasture. Um, and then we compare that to a no-till cover crop, which is probably the second best thing we can do 
is conservation farmers on our land to some of the less good practices with a lot of plowing and a lot of soil disturbance. Um, and we, we simulate a rain on it and we can see what goes into the ground and what runs off of the ground. And we can see the clarity of that water um, and what it looks like. And so it's just a really aha moment when you see that rainfall simulator. To it say, is like, amazing. I've seen that. Wow. I mean, especially I would think too – in working with farmers who might be more conventional in practices or just have been doing something the same way for so long yeah. that you don't you don't see your soil, right? I mean, right. you don't see your soil actively in that in that capacity uh, that it really makes a difference. Yeah. And you don't see you don't see I mean, frequently if it's a really bad storm, we're not out there looking at our runoff. We're in the house. <laughs> I mean, we're outside all the time. Why would we want to be out in a bad storm? Um, so once you actually visually see what you're losing, the amount of topsoil that your farm is losing, or if you are by a lake or a stream, the phosphorus that is running into that, and then we all of a sudden in August, we we have a little free time as farmers again in August, and we drive down the road and we look at our rivers and we're like, wow, why are they so green? It didn't used to be that way. It's horrible. And we don't always equate, wow, that's because of my phosphorus that ran off my field into that stream. And then we also don't think about how it's washed downstream to the Gulf of Mexico in this area um, and, and what problem that causes the Gulf fishermen farmers and, you know, our environment. So anyways, I'm a yeah. huge proponent of cover crops because they, they, they are very good conservation farming practice. They and help there's an soils. economic side to it there's too, right? There's an economic right? side to it. That's always a sell point. There is, yes. And so it does take a little time. So it is a commitment. And it takes a lot of um, – it takes working with the right people because when we're doing cover crops, we want to make sure that we are using the right cover crops in our crop rotation sequence or we can kind of have a train wreck. So the um, the Midwest um, Cover Crops Association has a really great field guide that I've yeah. used in the past, but also just working with a crop consultant to make sure that we are using the right cover crop in the right sequence with our crop so that we're not using up too much of our nitrogen in our cover crop. So would that be like a soil test too to sort of see a baseline or how how is that process? It's sort happen? of a process where we look at yep, we look at the soil sample analysis and then we also look at the crop being sequenced to say what cover crops work well with what the annual plants were growing. It's like a menu, sequence. huh? It is, sort of, yeah, yeah. Of vitamins. Yeah, so, yeah. And I use them in our grazing scenario. I use cover crops. I use, if it's if I, if I it's been a real dry summer and I feel like I've overgrazed a little bit or there's some patchy spots in my pasture, I will come in and put winter wheat in in the fall to let that come on really fast in the spring and to keep, like, weeds that might come in shaded out while my pasture's recovering. So there's different scenarios where I can use cover crops along with my perennial pastures to really help myself um one year I put in winter rye into my pastures and I didn't realize how fast those would get away from me and so they went to seed really fast and they're also really heavy feeders so I mean I've learned as you've got to learn as you go so sometimes you can save a lot of mistakes by working with a crop consultant (laughs) um so that's somebody through like NRC or how do you find a crop consultant um so there's a lot of private crop consultants out there um UW Extension staff can help direct you to them Mm -hmm. as well um and then you can develop a plan yep a plan for your overall sequence you land and I would think too there a, it'd be super beneficial, and B, you could be super strategic if, for example, you moved to a new farm, like we did way back when, that had been conventionally farmed for a long time, and the soil is dead on many levels that 
a cover crop plan could help bring yes. things back to life? You really help rejuvenate your soils. And and I mean, a long time ago, I feel like we thought it took forever to build organic matter in soil. And we're learning that really, if we really manage this, our systems correctly, we can make a lot of progress in a pretty short amount of time. Like a couple years? In a couple sure? years, we can wow. raise organic matter by a percent yeah. um, or, or maybe more. Yeah. So with really good management. Um, so yeah, cover cropping, um, there's just so many different ways we can use them in different sequences um that it's just it's yeah. really a really a great thing um so if anybody field days are a great way to get more information about what's working i mean so we have to plant the cover crop and then frequently we have to terminate a cover crop um so there's there's a lot of science really in cover cropping but yeah and is some of that used then for feed for your animals too or is that part of the sequence or can be yeah so it's a if so we are 100 percent grass-based farm and so I don't have row crops anymore, but having row crops and having the cattle graze the cover crops in the early spring is a wonderful way to terminate your cover crop while feeding your animal. <laughs> so it's That's really a win-win yeah. situation if you're doing both. I will use like annuals as well. So my cover crop is almost in the summertime. So you can see out the window where my cattle are right now. It's their, their winter sacrifice area. So it's all beat up and it really wouldn't pay for me to plant perennial pasture back into it because next year they're going to be in the same relatively same spot at least they're going to come back for water into the same spot and so it's going to get damaged so i will put in an annual seeding of ryegrass and some oats and you know a little cocktail that i put in my sacrifice areas and it's my summer cover crop when most people are growing their row crops in the summer and using their cover crops in the fall and in the spring so a little different sequence but it's the same yeah, same and I'm idea. assuming you take you keep like records of all of this yep. intently, and I do keep records to see what worked well and what didn't, and what my grazing dates were, and um, how much feed consumption I got off on them. Because yeah. I'm really seeing that right below the house here, it's a, in the middle of the summer. We usually, for our grazing, have what we call a summer slump. So, like when people aren't cutting their grass, our pasture isn't growing. And it's also a great time to go on vacation. So if I can have my cattle in my summer, in, in with my cover cropping for the summer for like four or five days, oh, really, it's a great way for me to be able to go on vacation when the cattle are right by the house and right with permanent water. So it's kind of a win-win for me and the soil. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, what are some other resources you'd recommend for folks to learn about cover crops? Yeah, so one of the things I would do is I would try to go to to as many field days as I could. Several of the county land and water departments are putting on cover crop field days. I know um, we'll be putting on some cover crop field days. So really watching the papers for um, cover crop field days is a great way to get more information. Um, Going to conferences in the winter, the Moses Conference always has several really good talks on cover cropping. Um. So different conferences around the states um, is, yeah. a, is a great way in the winter to learn more information, to then sit down and kind of plan your spring. I spend a lot of time in the winter planning what I'm going to do, where and when, and how that's going to work out. Yeah. And then you experiment, right? I mean, some yeah. things, it's a constant process, it sounds like. You know, it's interesting from your descriptions, looking at it from the female farmer lens, cover crops seem like a real tangible way to nurture the land almost right i mean yeah. you're, you're like like we feed children you can feed your land right, almost, right? it's a natural fit it is a natural women. fit yeah because yeah definitely the root of that cover crop is 
is the same thing as the carrots we're giving our little kids to the biology and the soil, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah that's a great analogy. No, it, it makes sense. And I, and I can see how uh, I, and it, it may feel overwhelming to somebody who hasn't done this before, either if you're just using different practices or you're new to farming. Uh, what what would you recommend as a f- first step? I know it sounds like the research is a part of it, but maybe just take on a smaller section. Yeah, and, and so kind of sit down and, and one of the things that's really hard for people to, I think, get over is the cost. Because they'll say, well, geez, my seed bill is already this and I'm just going to terminate that and I'm not going to harvest it and this makes no sense. But really going to a conference where we look at the numbers and say three years in, it makes a tremendous difference. Um, You are feeding and nurturing the soil. You're adding organic matter. So that, let's face it, our climate is changing. And the the prediction for our climate is that we will have about the same amount of rain, right? But it will be in in less frequent, more heavy rains. Yeah, we've seen that for sure. And so if our organic matter is building in our soil because of our cover crops, we're going to be able to capture that water on our landscape versus it running off and so it's sort of our cover crops are sort of your insurance policy yeah, <laughs> for no, the future because that's a great way to look if at we it. don't build our souls now what will we have in time to come well and hearing those stories from from farmer champions like yourself makes so much sense because that's gonna sell this in and educate about it much more than whatever a brochure or something <laughs> else that just says you should and two there's ways for folks who are leasing land either if you are leasing to somebody to a farmer of the land you own or you're you're leasing your farmland to work cover crops into that right i mean either a cost share between owner and farmer or there's ways to yeah there's get definitely it ways the, to bridge it there's also yep there's also some nrcs funding for mm-hmm. cover crops there's also some counties have county initiatives for cover crops so I mean, what we've kind of seen with data is once a farmer starts cover cropping a quarter of their farm, within two years, their whole farm is full of cover crops because they see how it works for them. So there are some financial incentives out there through land conservation organizations to try to get farmers to start because they do realize once I get this person started, she's going to continue on with it and it's going to be a win-win for the environment and the farmer. So check with your... NRCS office Check or with county your local, conservationist? Yep, your local county conservationist um, at your land and water office or every state and county is different. Yeah, no, I um, realize funding <laughs> program change. Is that usually for seed or how do, or does it vary what, what incentives? It very, very much varies. It's like frequently, it's like a per acre payment to help with the cost of the seed. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, that makes but, sense. And, and there's a lot of... Um, sometimes farmers need to change their equipment to get started. Um, and so... Having that custom done for you the first couple of years while you realize, oh, this worked really well or this piece of equipment worked really well is also a really good thing to do. Oh, that's a do. really so good point. Working yeah. with your local cooperative or your local, if you're organic, organic feed store, I mean, whoever it is to find out, hey, who in the neighborhood already is doing this and has this equipment and can I go talk to them and learn from peer learning and sharing of equipment or People going in together to purchase some of the equipment that's only used once Are these a year. like cedars or what kind of things do you use? Yeah, like no-till drills or um, rollers to terminate the crop. Um, yeah, so yeah. I just use my cattle. So I have a no-till drill that I, <laughs> you got that real I seed. Efficient. Yeah, I just use my no-till drill that I seed all my inner seed my pastures with anyway. So for me, it's kind of a simple process. But for row crop farmers, it's, it's a little more... Um, a little more to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but that's a really good point to not invest before 
you're sold and you have a plan and it all makes sense to do. Yeah. And in any time, even sharing equipment, you know, has worked really well yeah. for a lot of people. Because so. it's nothing that's super what, time crunch in the sense of you got to do it right now. I mean, people can work out schedules easy yeah. enough to share equipment for that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, cover crops that I would think would be the seed would be pretty specific to where you live, right? I mean, when you talk about the Midwest, it's different. You you want to be working with Midwest seed companies and Yeah. And, and a lot of the seed companies are really good. Um, I mean, I work closely with a lot of the organic seed companies because that's my hat. But um, they're really good about helping you. You know, they want to keep selling you seeds. So if you're working with Blue River Hybrids or Albert Lee or Welter Seed and Honey, I mean, they're really going to work with you on what they have seen successfully work because they want you to remain their customer. So yeah. they are also good resources. And they come and help at a lot of field days. And um, it's a good thing. That's a really good point because the seed companies want you to succeed, right? And to tap into that resource. We forget that. We kind of place seed orders and don't think that there's experts on that other line. There's a line. lot of experts. If, I utilize if, them yeah, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> no, that makes total sense because uh, if if things work, it's a win-win and a reorder. Yep. You bet. And a, and a referral to someone else. So, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. yep. What, what's your favorite? Or was Oh, are, I yeah. mean, what, what I do you like visually can... Or, or can you choose your favorite child? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I probably different seed houses for different. Yeah. Everybody sort of has their specialty, right? Um, so yeah, I don't yeah, think I can no, no, a favorite. Yeah, no, no, jump but... in. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out MOSESorganic.org.